Section three of the Life of God in the Soul of Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jan Raimundo. The next branch of the divine life is a universal charity and love. The excellency of this grace will be easily acknowledged. For what can be more noble and generous than a heart enlarged to embrace the whole world, whose wishes and designs are leveled at the good and welfare of the universe, and which considers every man's interest as his own? He who loves his neighbor as himself can never entertain any base or injurious thought, or be wanting in expressions of bounty. He would rather suffer a thousand wrongs than be guilty of one, and never accounts himself happy but when some one or other has benefited from him. The malice or ingratitude of men is not able to resist his love. He overlooks their injuries, pities their follies, and overcomes their evil with good, and he never designs any other revenge against his most bitter and malicious enemies than to put all the obligations he can upon them, whether they will or not. Is it any wonder that such a person is reverenced and admired, and accounted the darling of mankind? This inward goodness and benignity of spirit reflects a certain sweetness and serenity upon the very countenance, and makes it amiable and lovely. It inspires the soul with a noble resignation and courage, and makes it capable of enterprising and effecting the highest things. Those heroic actions which we are wont to read with admiration have, for the most part, been the effects of the love of one's country or of particular friendships, and certainly a more extensive and universal affection must be much more powerful and efficacious. Again, as charity flows from a noble and excellent temper, so it is accompanied with the greatest satisfaction and pleasure. It delights the soul to feel itself thus enlarged, and to be delivered from those disquieting as well as deformed passions of malice, hatred, and envy, and become gentle, sweet, and benign. Had I my choice of all things that might tend to my present felicity, I would pitch upon this one, to have my heart possessed with the greatest kindness and affection towards all men in the world. I am sure this would make me partake in all the happiness of others, their inward endowments and outward prosperity. Everything that benefited and advantaged them would afford me comfort and pleasure, and though I should frequently meet with occasions of grief and compassion, yet there is a sweetness in commiseration which makes it infinitely more desirable than a stupid insensibility. The consideration of that infinite goodness and wisdom which governs the world might repress any excessive trouble for particular calamities that happen in it, and the hopes or possibility of men's later happiness might moderate their sorrow for their present misfortunes certainly next to the love and enjoyment of god that ardent charity and affection wherewith blessed souls embrace one another is justly to be reckoned as the greatest felicity of those regions above and if it universally prevailed in the world it would anticipate that blessedness and make us taste the joys of heaven upon earth that which i named as a third branch of religion was purity and you may remember that i described it to consist in a contempt of sensual pleasures and a resoluteness to undergo those troubles and pains we may meet with in the performance of our duty now naming this may suffice to recommend it as a most noble and excellent quality there is no slavery so base as that whereby a man becomes a drudge to his own lusts nor any victory so glorious as that which is obtained over them Never can that person be capable of anything that is noble and worthy, who has sunk in the gross and feculent pleasures of sense, or been bewitched with the light and airy gratifications of fancy. But the religious soul is of a more sublime and divine temper. It knows it was made for higher things, and scorns to step aside one foot out of the way of holiness just to obtain any of these. And this purity is accompanied with a great deal of pleasure. Whatsoever defiles the soul disturbs it, too. All impure delights have a sting in them, and leave smart and trouble behind them. 
excess and intemperance and all inordinate lusts are such enemies to the health of the body and the interests of this present life that a little consideration might oblige any rational man to forbear them on that very score and if the religious person goes higher and not only abstains from noxious pleasures but neglects those which are innocent this is not to be looked upon as any violent and uneasy restraint but as the effect of a better choice that their minds are taken up in the pursuit of more sublime and refined delights so that they cannot be concerned with these any person who is engaged in a violent and passionate affection will easily forget his ordinary gratifications will be little curious about his diet or his bodily ease or the divertisements he was wont to delight in no wonder then if souls that are overpowered with divine love despise inferior pleasures and are almost ready to grudge the body its necessary attendance for the common accommodations of life judging all these as impertinent to their main happiness and those higher enjoyments they are pursuing as for the hardships they meet with they rejoice in them as opportunities to exercise and testify their affection and since they are able to do so little for god they are glad for the honour of suffering for him the last branch of religion is humility and however to vulgar and carnal eyes this may appear to be an abject base and despicable quality yet really the soul of man is not capable of a higher and more noble endowment it is a silly ignorance that begets pride but humility arises from a nearer acquaintance with excellent things which keeps men from doting on trifles or admiring themselves because of some pretty attainments noble and well-educated souls have no such high opinion of riches beauty strength and other such advantages so as to value themselves for them or despise those who lack them and as for inward worth and real goodness the sense they have of the divine perfections makes them think very lowly of anything they have hitherto attained and still be endeavouring to surmount themselves and make nearer approaches to those infinite excellencies which they admire i do not know what thoughts people may have of humility but i see almost every person pretending to it and shunning such expressions and actions as may make them be accounted arrogant and presumptuous so that those who are most desirous of praise will be loath to commend themselves what are all those compliments and modes of civility so frequent in our ordinary conversations but so many protestations of the esteem of others and the low thoughts we have of ourselves and must not that humility be a noble and excellent endowment when the very shadows of it are accounted so necessary a part of good breeding this grace is accompanied with a great deal of happiness and tranquillity the proud and arrogant person is a trouble to all who converse with him but most of all unto himself everything is enough to vex him but scarcely anything is sufficient to content and please him he is ready to quarrel with everything that falls out as if he himself were such a considerable person that god almighty should do everything to gratify him and all the creatures of heaven and earth should wait upon him and do his will the leaves of high trees shake with every blast of wind and every evil word will disquiet and torment an arrogant man but the humble person has the advantage when he is despised because none think more lowly of him than he does of himself and therefore he is not troubled at the matter but can easily bear those reproaches which wound the other to the soul and withal as he is less affected with injuries so indeed he is less prone to them contention which comes from pride betrays a man into a thousand inconveniences which those of a meek and lowly temper seldom meet with true and genuine humility beget both a veneration and love among all wise and discerning persons while pride defeats its own design and deprives a man of that honour it makes him pretend to but as the chief exercises of humility are those which relate unto almighty god so these are accompanied with the greatest satisfaction and sweetness 
it is impossible to express the great pleasure and delight which religious persons feel in the lowest prostration of their souls before god when having a deep sense of the divine majesty and glory they sink to the bottom of their beings and vanish and disappear in the presence of god by a serious and affectionate acknowledgment of their own nothingness and the shortness and imperfections of their attainments when they understand the full sense and emphasis of the psalmist's exclamation lord what is man and can utter it with the same affection never did any haughty and ambitious person receive the praises and applauses of men with so much pleasure as the humble and religious renounce them not unto us o lord not unto us but unto thy name give glory psalm one hundred and fifteen verse one thus i have spoken something of the excellencies and advantage of religion in its various branches but i would be very injurious to the subject if i pretended to have given any perfect account of it let us acquaint ourselves with it my dear friend let us acquaint ourselves with it and experience will teach us more than all that ever has been spoken or written concerning it but if we may suppose the soul to be already awakened unto some longing desires after so great a blessedness it will be good to give them vent and to allow them to issue forth in some such aspirations as these good god what a mighty felicity is this to which we are called how graciously thou hast joined our duty and happiness together and prescribed that for our work the performance whereof is a great reward and shall such silly worms be advanced to so great a height wilt thou allow us to raise our eyes to thee wilt thou admit and accept our affection shall we receive the impression of thy divine excellencies by beholding and admiring them and partake of thy infinite blessedness and glory by loving thee and rejoicing in them oh the happiness of those souls that have broken the fetters of self-love and disentangled their affection from every narrow and particular good whose understandings are enlightened by the holy spirit and their wills enlarged to the extent of thine who love thee above all things and all mankind for thy sake i am persuaded o god i am persuaded that i can never be happy till my carnal and corrupt affections are mortified and the pride and vanity of my spirit are subdued until i come seriously to despise the world and think nothing of myself but oh when shall it be oh when wilt thou come unto me and satisfy my soul with thy likeness making me holy as thou art holy even in all manner of conversation hast thou given me a prospect of so great a felicity and wilt thou not bring me unto it hast thou excited these desires in my soul and wilt thou not also satisfy them oh teach me to do thy will for thou art my god thy spirit is good lead me unto the land of uprightness Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, and perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth for ever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. I have hitherto considered wherein true religion consists, and how desirable a thing it is. But when one sees how infinitely distant the common temper and frame of men are from it, he may perhaps be ready to despond, and give over, and think it utterly impossible to be obtained he may sit down in sadness and bemoan himself saying in the anguish and bitterness of his spirit they are happy indeed whose souls are awakened unto the divine life who are thus renewed in the spirit of their minds but alas i am of quite another constitution and am not able to effect so mighty a change if outward observances could have done the business i might have hoped to acquit myself by diligence and care but since nothing but a new nature can serve the turn what am i able to do i could bestow all my goods and oblations to god or alms to the poor but i cannot command that love and charity without which this expense would profit me nothing this gift of god cannot be purchased with money if a man should give all the substance of his house for ever it would utterly be condemned i could pine and macerate my body and undergo many hardships and troubles but i cannot get all my corruptions starved nor my affections wholly weaned from earthly things 
there are still some worldly desires lurking in my heart and those vanities that i have shut out of doors are always getting in through the windows i am many times convinced of my own meanness of the weakness of my body and the far greater weakness of my soul but this rather begets indignation and discontent than true humility in my spirit and though i should come to think meanly of myself yet i cannot endure that others should think so too in a word when i reflect on my highest and most specious attainments i have reason to suspect that they are all merely the effects of nature the issues of self-love acting under several disguises and this principle is so powerful and so deeply rooted in me that i can never hope to be delivered from the dominion of it i may toss and turn as a door on the hinges but i can never get clear off or be quite unhinged of self which is still the centre of all my motions so that all the advantage I can draw from the discovery of religion is but to see at a huge distance that felicity which I am not able to reach. I am like a man in a shipwreck, who discerns the land and envies the happiness of those who are there, but thinks it impossible for he himself to get ashore. These, I say, or such like desponding thoughts, may arise in the minds of those persons who begin to conceive something more of the nature and excellency of religion than before they have spied the land and have seen that it is exceedingly good and that it flows with milk and honey but they find that they have the children of anak to grapple with many powerful lusts and corruptions to overcome and they fear they shall never prevail against them but why should we give way to such discouraging suggestions why should we entertain such unreasonable fears which dampen our spirits weaken our hands and augment the difficulties of the way let us encourage ourselves my dear friend let us encourage ourselves with these mighty aids we are to expect in this spiritual warfare for greater is he who is in us than all who can rise up against us the eternal god is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms let us be strong in the lord and in the power of his might deuteronomy chapter thirty three verse twenty seven ephesians chapter six verse ten for it is he who shall tread down our enemies god has a tender regard unto the souls of men and is infinitely willing to promote their welfare he has condescended to our weakness and declared with an oath that he has no pleasure in our destruction there is no such thing as despite or envy lodged in the bosom of that ever-blessed being whose name and nature is love he created us at first in a happy condition and now when we are fallen from it he has laid help upon one who is mighty to save he has committed the care of our souls to the eternal son of his love it is he who is the captain of our salvation and what enemies can be too strong for us when we are fighting under his banner did not the son of god come down from the bosom of his father and pitch his tabernacle among the sons of men so that he might recover and propagate the divine life and restore the image of god in their souls all the mighty works which he performed all the sad afflictions which he sustained had this for their scope and design for this he laboured and toiled for this he bled and died has he wrought no deliverance in the earth shall he not see the travail of his soul certainly it is impossible that this great contrivance of heaven should prove abortive that such a mighty undertaking should fail and miscarry it has already been effectual for the salvation of many thousands who were once as far from the kingdom of heaven as we can suppose ourselves to be and our high priest liveth for ever and is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto god by him hebrews chapter seven verse twenty five he is tender and compassionate he knows our infirmities and has experienced our temptations a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth judgment unto victory isaiah chapter forty two verse three he has sent out his holy spirit whose sweet but powerful breathings are still moving up and down in the world to quicken and revive the souls of men and awaken them unto the sense and feeling of those divine things for which they were made 
that Holy Spirit is ready to assist such weak and languishing creatures as we are in our essays towards holiness and felicity, and when he has once taken hold of a soul and kindled in it the smallest spark of divine love, it will be sure to preserve and cherish and bring it forth into a flame which many waters shall not quench, neither shall the floods be able to drown it. Whenever this day begins to dawn, and the day-star rises in the heart, it will easily dispel the power of darkness, and make ignorance and folly, and all the corrupt and selfish affections of men, flee away as fast before it as the shades of night when the sun comes out of his chambers. For the path of the just is as the shining light, that shineth more and more into the perfect day. They shall go on from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18, Psalm 84 verse 7. Why should we think it impossible that true goodness and universal love should ever come to sway and prevail in our souls? Is not this their primitive state and condition, their native and genuine constitution as they first came from the hands of their Maker? Sin and corruption are but usurpers, and though they have long kept the possession, yet from the beginning it was not so. That inordinate self-love which one would think was rooted in our very being, and interwoven with the constitution of our nature, is nevertheless of foreign extraction, and has no place at all in the state of integrity. We have still so much reason left as to condemn it. Our understandings are easily convinced that we ought to be wholly devoted to him from whom we have our being, and to love him infinitely more than ourselves, who is infinitely better than we are, and our wills would readily comply with this if they were not disordered and put out of tune. And is not he who makes our souls able to rectify and mend them again? Shall we not be able, by his assistance, to vanquish and expel those violent intruders, and turn to flight the armies of the aliens? No sooner shall we take up arms in this holy war than we shall have all the saints on earth and all the angels in heaven engaged on our side. The holy church throughout the world is daily interceding with God for the success of all such endeavors, and doubtless those heavenly hosts above are nearly concerned in the interests of religion, and infinitely desirous of seeing the divine life thriving and prevailing in this inferior world, as it is done by them in heaven. And may we not then encourage ourselves, as the prophet did his servant when he showed him the horses and chariots of fire? Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Second Kings chapter 6 verse 16 Away, then, with all perplexing fears and desponding thoughts. To undertake vigorously and rely confidently on the divine assistance is more than half the conquest. Let us arise and be doing, and the Lord will be with us. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 16. It is true, religion in the souls of men is the immediate work of God, and all our natural endeavors can neither produce it alone, nor merit those supernatural aids by which it must be wrought. The Holy Ghost must come upon us, and the power of the highest must overshadow us, before that holy thing can be begotten and Christ be formed in us. Yet we must not expect that this whole work should be done without any concurring endeavors of our own. We must not lie loitering in the ditch, waiting until omnipotence pulls us from there. No, no, we must stir ourselves up and actuate those powers which we have already received. We must put forth ourselves to our utmost capacities, and then we may hope that our labor in the Lord shall not be in vain. All the art and industry of man cannot form the smallest herb, nor make a stalk of corn to grow in the field. It is the energy of nature and the influences of heaven which produce this effect. It is God who causes the grass to grow, and herbs for the service of man. Yet nobody will say that the labors of the husbandman are useless or unnecessary. So likewise, the human soul is immediately created by God. It is he who both forms and enlivens the child, and yet he has appointed the marriage bed as the ordinary means for the propagation of mankind. Though there must intervene a stroke of omnipotence to effect this mighty change in our souls, yet we ought to do what we can to fit and prepare ourselves. 
we must break up our fallow ground root out the weeds and pull up the thorns so that we may be more ready to receive the seeds of grace and the dew of heaven it is true that god has been found by some who did not seek him he has cast himself in their way who were quite out of his he has laid hold upon them and stopped their course suddenly st paul was converted on his journey to damascus but certainly this is not god's ordinary method of dealing with men though he has not tied himself to means yet he has tied us to the use of them and we have never more reason to expect divine assistance than when we are doing our utmost endeavours it shall therefore be my next work to show what course we ought to take for attaining that blessed temper i have heretofore described but here if in delivering my own thoughts i shall chance to differ from what is or may be said by others in this matter i would not be thought to contradict and oppose them any more than physicians do when they prescribe several remedies for the same disease all which may be safe and useful every one may propose the method he judges most proper and convenient but he does not thereby pretend that the cure can never be effected unless it is strictly observed i doubt that it has occasioned much unnecessary disquietude to some holy persons that they have not found such a regular and orderly transaction in their souls as they have seen described in books that they have not passed through all those steps and stages of conversion which some who perhaps have felt in themselves have too peremptorily prescribed unto others god has several ways of dealing with the souls of men and it suffices if the work is accomplished whatever the methods have been again though in proposing directions i must follow that order which the nature of things shall lead to yet i do not mean that the same method should be so punctually observed in the practice as if the latter rules were never to be heeded till some considerable time has been spent in practising the former the directions i intend are mutually conducive one to another and are all to be performed as occasion shall serve and we find ourselves enabled to perform them End of section 3. Recording by Jen Raimundo.